nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another fun-packed, thrill-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living. And joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, this week we have... Bonjour, la classe, Jean Appel, Paul Carmichael. Was that a sit- uh, Yes, it was. What? Bonjour, la classe. That was a sitcom, wasn't it? Oh, I don't know. I think like my 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 language. My my language at once. My my language, miss. With Harry Fowler. Mind your language. Mind your language. I think. Well, I think so, but I think it was about a French thing, or I've dreamt it. Oh, I like dreamt sitcoms. Oh yes. Now hang on. Let me let me have a quick look. My one with Derek Griffiths as a sort of Franciscan monk who is integrating into swinging London called Oh Brother. I would love to have seen that. Oh, I, I would, would love to have seen that. Was my dreamt sitcom with a theme tune by Rolf Harris. Really? Hmm. I actually wonderful. sat and recorded the theme tune. Oh, what in the voice? I did all that. <laughs> oh, brother! <laughs> oh, brother! That's what I That's what I heard in my dream. A bit like the music from Heads and Tails that he does. Very like the music. That's it. Right, okay. There you go. There you go. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'll send you the recording. It's many years old. It's on a cassette. I was about to ask, this is before the whole Rolf, you know. Oh, long. This is when Rolf was okay. Oh, okay. Yes. Which they used to shout, didn't they? Rolf's here. What do you say? Ready to go. Okay. That was Rolf on Saturday. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Have you seen the Not the Nine O'Clock News sketch where Mel and Griff like corral a load of children into a wagon? No, I... and then shut oh! the tailgate. Yes, says Rolf's Cartoon Club. Yes, <laughs> just brilliant. Absolutely just brilliant. wonderful. Yeah, I did. I like Rolf Harris as a kid. Um, probably. I actually. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. I like more Phil Cool doing Rolf Harris. That was funnier. Bit of shit. Little yeah. bit more shit. You know, and doing all that. interesting, isn't he? Did did he do three series and then vanish? Phil Cool. Phil Cool. I don't Mm. know what happened with Phil Cool. Yeah, he sort Mm. of. He was. He was kind of like. I think Jasper Carrot went to ITV, right? uh, And Phil Cool took over his slot, or vice versa. He was sort of a a Jasper Carrot thing. Yeah, Carrot was BBC in the eighties, definitely. So it may have been that, but I think also is. Oh, no, this is earlier, isn't it? Because Carrot is now... Carrot's doing amazingly well, isn't oh, he? Oh, Carrot's, a, a, like, loaded, isn't it? Quiz show format Celador? Celador, yeah. Oh, isn't yeah, that him he's... and Tarrant and someone else? I think so, yeah, because they did Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and all those things. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's done rather well out of that. I like Jasper Carrot, me. I did. I, I like Jasper Carrot. I still like him. I think he's a clever boy. Yeah, he used to be on Saturday nights, didn't he? I remember. And I think it's because he was a bit... I think my mother approved of his politics. I'm, I'm not even sure what his politics were, particularly. Well, he turned think... up. Do you remember when he turns up on Saturday Night Live with all these sort of young lefty comedians? No. And he just says, right, ladies, boys and girls, we're going to watch a little film. And then they just show an animation of his uh, bit about uh, women drivers or something. And on about the mother-in-law getting him, pulling the choke out to hang a handbag on it. Right. And it's just like deathly silence in the room when it's done. I mean, it's obviously a routine that they've made a cartoon. Yeah. Like, so there's laughter on it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then they come back to the studio and no one's laughing. It's the oddest bit. Oh, Nearly as odd as, do you remember when Peter Cook hosted Saturday Night Live? And he, he does Marcos. <laughs> yes. That's fucking yes. nuts. I've got Absolutely. the whole episode. Oh, I'd love to see that. I've seen you bits. you not got that? No, I've not got that. Oh. 
Monday. Oh, yes, please. I'll have a bit of that. Oh, oh. it's superb. I loved how Peter Cook used to pop up. And the Clive Anderson. The Clive Anderson, the, the five-hander, when he oh. did that. Well, of course, there was his interview beforehand that God, led to it, and people hadn't seen him for years. And I remember, because I adored Peter Cook. Oh, yes. Because of discovering Derek and Clive when I was 14. And then not only, Just but also... Him. But not only, but also I discovered later at 15, and I went, oh, wow. They, when they... I was, it was that BBC 50 or whatever in the 80s, again, mm. that introduced me. Well, actually, no. You knew who Peter Cook was, didn't you? He was just there. I can't remember a time that he wasn't present, which is weird because he was never present. You know, he just vanished for long periods of time. Like that whole thing with Frost, when David Frost phoned him up. And he gave it the whole, oh, Peter, super, I've got uh, Andrew and Fergie coming over for dinner on this day. Are you free? And he was like, oh, I'm just go and check my diary. And he wandered off for ages. And then he slowly shambles back and he goes, oh, I'm afraid I appear to be watching television that night. <laughs> and just wouldn't go. I love him. Absolutely love him. He was there. He was just there. I don't mm. know why, how we knew him. I think also I knew him because... Probably um, chat shows. Well, it wasn't chat shows for me. It was because I got to see Private Eye occasionally because my uncle got Private Eye. Uh, and I think I became aware of him because of because of that. So I must have been told about him. And I love the description of him when he was at Private Eye, when uh, he was being sued for something, usually by uh, Robert Maxwell. And Ian Hislop says he'd just, sit in, he'd just sit there looking at Maxwell, waving his checkbook at him, which is just... Oh, he was a brilliant guy. He was. He, he was, was absolutely brilliant. I can't absolutely. think how I knew. He was just there. For me, he was yeah. just there. Yeah. Like Willie Rushton was just there. And, mm. you know, uh, Ned Sherrin and all those guys. They were just there. Well, Willie Rushton they? was there for me because of Jack and Ori when he did that. I was just, oh, I loved him. There was a Jack lot of Willie Rushton about. Hell of a lot, yeah. Hell of a lot of Willie Rushton about. And you don't bloody hear about him now, which is a tragedy. Because mm. he was absolutely brilliant, wasn't he? He was, I but I suppose he didn't do an awful lot of sort of... Well, he didn't do major films in the way that Roy Kinnear did, so he's more still in the consciousness, whereas, you know, Willie Rushton's stuff was basically broadcast once and done. A lot of it, you know, if it's satirical, then it's not going to be shown again. I've, Roy I've, Kinnear by on him Wigan. Oh, yes. As, as you said to me yesterday. Oh. See, that's like, oh, no idea about that. You would have thought, sorry. Cockney. Well, just yeah. a Cockney. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that explains, I suppose, when he does his northern accent, why it's good. Mm. Wigan, which also gave us Ken Parry, Frank Randall, George mm. Formby, yes. Ian McKellen. It's yes. a weird little place for producing talent, isn't it? It really and is. And also Colin Bean. Oh, yes. Private Sponge. Private Sponge. Mm. All these people. Ooh, Wigan. Wigan. Strange yes, place. Have you been to Wigan much? You are. Have you been to Wigan many times? No, I've got an enmity, enmity toward Wigan. I don't know why. Well, I do really? know why. Because uh, they were our kind of big rivals in rugby league. Oh, okay. I know. That's interesting. St. Helens right. were the team, lad. Ah. And see, then I, I moved to Witness, you see. And then that, ah, right. That, that I find it interesting me. because uh, the, the family, you know, back in the day, mm. used to own some big mill out there, you know, that, uh, to employ the poorer people. Mm. Very benevolently. It wasn't a workhouse, I'm sure. Um, oh, no. This is you again in the purple velvet knickerbockers with the violin under the arm being dropped off by the carriage uh, at Fullwood Park on a yeah. Sunday. And, yeah. Will there be scones for tea, Mater? 
Well, you know, a little bit of that. It's just, Do I just, render as a selection. Oh, I just feel I would have been more suited to a life where I would waft along accompanied by the theme music from the Oneidan line. I just think that'd be better. That'd be nice, wouldn't, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be lovely? Wasn't it Anne Stallybrass that was in that? It was, yeah. I like and they make a, Stally Brass. That's interesting because they make a big thing. I, I watched the first series recently and they make a big thing about how ugly she is. I is know. That, yeah, yeah, that's right. Fair that's play to her for that. putting plain. up with that. I think they call her plain. Oh, and, God. And no, like a they maid. go worse, you know. They, they do go worse than that. I mean, do they refer they? to her being older than him. It's all about her age, her looks and all this. And I think fair play on Stanley Brass for taking this on. I love Baines in the Oneidin line. Howard Lang. Howard Lang. I was watching oh. Spartacus over Christmas. Because hmm. what I did was I put all these... Because I was ill, I put long films on, as I explained to you, so you can just drift in and drift out when you're ill. Hmm. And how would and there's this bloke at the front of the galley of slaves, you know, shouting bomb and yeah, left yeah. and right or whatever he shouts. And it's like bloody hell, that's Howard Baines. Oh, not sorry, Howard Lang. Yeah, and he was just being Baines. Is, that, is this all he ever did? I think it is. I mean, he does. He does two lovely turns in in Doctor Who, doesn't he? He does one in the very first story, playing the elder statesman of the cavemen, yes. and he just plays it as Howard Lang. Mm. And then 1977, he's playing a lighthouse keeper on the, the horror of Fang Rock, and he just plays it as Howard Lang. You know, he's just played everything as Howard Lang, and fair play to him for that. I love Howard Lang. You go Howard on his Lang. wiki, as I did, to check, is that really him in uh, Spartacus? Because hmm. he's got the, a really quarried, masculine face, hasn't he? He's like oh, yeah. a proper bloke. Yo, uh, yeah. You know, bloke. You can see yes. why they cast him as that salty sea dog. And I think he talks about going to uh, Denmark or somewhere on the wiki. Right. Um, where the Oneidin line was wildly popular. Mm. And he said he got there and they all looked like Baines. <laughs> you know? and, and he was just like, right, okay, this is why you like it, is it? Ah, uh, there we are. Yeah. Wonderful. No, yeah, somewhere like that. Somewhere yeah. Like that. All these series were huge in the 70s abroad. It's like the, the brothers. Line. Well, the no. brothers had this amazingly large following oh. in uh, Israel. God, right. it was popular, hugely popular and in Holland, Israel. Wasn't it? And Holland, which is yeah. where the record, the Hammonds of Christmas, yeah. or Christmas with the Hammonds, rather, that's, um, yeah, that's what, that, where that was released. It wasn't really released here much. Holland's but, uh, a weird one because when I, I probably told you this and, uh, and the listeners and viewers, so I apologise. Mm. But when I went to uh, East Clarendon for the mm. Cat Weasel, Event oh, yeah. they used to hold every year. Bloody shame that's all seemingly over now because I think the chap who ran the Cat Weasel fan club, Gary, can't remember mm. his name, he, he was the sort of beating heart of it. You know, I, him and a lady, I can't remember her name, um, mm. and I doubt they'll be listening. She'll be listening. I apologize if she is, but those two worked tirelessly. But he mm. was the kind of, I think he was the driving force. So I think that, and when you joined it, I don't know if you joined the Cat Weasel thing. But it was amazing what you got. You got this sort of lenticular thing, and you got a wallet, and you got a, a proper enamel badge. It was like wow! It was like it was brill what you got. Anyway, when I went down there, mm. wildly popular in Holland, cat weasel, like massively all over the walls in this barn. You know the barn where they filmed part of yeah. cat weasel. They had all memorabilia up and photos and stuff like that. And the amount of cat weasel products, albums, and stuff that were in Dutch. Really? And have you seen the remake of the Cat Weasel film that's German or Dutch? It's just recent, isn't it? I've seen yeah. the trailer, yeah. It looks astonishingly good. It does. Yeah. It does look very good. But it's never been... I mean, he looked like Ginger Baker, so maybe 
it was mm. due to the popularity of cream. Um, Maybe. But yeah, I think that the Dutch market... Because it's weird, isn't it? We've got that Freddie Frinton sketch. Um, dinner for one. Dinner for one. Yeah. Um, that's like massively popular in the Scandi com- countries, isn't it? Is that New Year's Eve they play that? It's every New Year's Eve yeah. it gets played at. I can't remember the same exactly. same routine as last year. Exactly the same routine. So, yeah, yes. we all know how it ends. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, it's... It's amazing that that's become a tradition, though, isn't it? Just to sit down and everybody watches that. I mean, I don't know what the ratings are like, but I imagine that they put it on for more than just the reasons. It's an institution over yeah. there. The huge, the ratings. I think the one that we all know is one they went over there to film. I don't think it's like an original British film. I think they went over to, you know, TV Norsk or something. No, you're right. Um, and that's probably why it looks so good because that's the original videotape of course it wasn't downgraded yeah. to a crappy film recording so that it's pristine mm. quality now it's, it's lovely boss. to watch it's oh it boss. is absolutely, it's absolutely great it. so it's the epiphany it is the epiphany shoe on that one in yeah it's the this is our epiphany special it was almost our 12th night special and i was really ready for that you know as you can see i'm sat here with my 12th night DVD, Stephen Fry in his yellow stockings on the front. We had a wonderful English teacher called Mrs. Wilson, mm. who had us do 12th night oh. when we were in school. And um, I was Sir Toby Belch. I mean, we only sat at our desks and read it. Mm. But I remember doing Sir Toby Belch as uh, Melchit from Blackadder Goes Forth. Wonderful. So I did loads of meh and all yes. that business. Because, you know, that was the closest you got to acting in our school. Mm. You, you, uh, anyway, it was brill. Yeah. It was brill. Loved oh, it. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful look. I love that play. Um, I, I would never direct it because I, yeah. I just, en- no, I enjoy it too much. Um, yeah. And I like see. it's one of those rare times I like seeing what other people do with it. You know, there's that lovely thing where they're reading the letter and basically they, the word cunt is spelt out, which is just beautifully done. But, Fry, when Fry's involved in, in all that sort of stuff, it's magical. But again, I've seen productions where it's handled so differently. So it's one of those where I kind of don't want to touch it. I just want to enjoy it and just be shocked by it and not overthink it. Because I think the moment you direct something, you go, ooh, that's how it's done then. There's that ah, little thing, I, I think. So you sit and there then, in your yellow stockings cross-gartered. Yes, watching absolutely. It. Yes, I should. I might. Isn't it Michael Williams who plays that in one of the BBC productions? Or is it Jacoby? It's one of those diminutive little. I chaps. think it's Williams because Jacoby does Hamlet with yeah. uh, Lala Ward as Ophelia. Ah, uh, oh, she's seen very that. good in that. Oh, that's lovely stuff. She Bob Stevens doesn't ever want to play Hamlet. You'll find out when you read the book. Really? Oh yes. Oh okay. Very to... very good that book for actory insight. It's a wonderful book from mm. what I've seen so far. Mm. I'm, I am enjoying it. I love his style. You can just. It feels very much like he's just sat in front of a roaring fire talking, which I imagine he probably was. In but, the introduction, uh, he says they were all sort of, it was all put together at lunches, doesn't he? In, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, a lot of lunches. So I, I must, it must be transcribed. It must be transcribed. Well, presumably, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're his own words or whatever. And uh, he does say that thing about how, it. luckily enough, we have a, a very similar style of talking. So, yeah, whilst he's it. tidied it up, he didn't really need to change it, which is good. It's a brill book. I don't know if you've got it to hand, but another uh, recommendation no, for our no, viewers and listeners to get Knight Errant, Bob mm. Steve, Robert Stevens. It's 
criminal. It should be fifty pounds that book. Yes, it should how much, be. How much was yours? Well, it was sixty two p, but mm. with delivery Postage like three pound odd. Yeah, um, but we're talking too. a hardback, beautiful condition, and it's just mm. like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send the seller fifty pounds. <laughs> I think or uh, Pat Quinn. Someone needs to have more money for the amount of sheer joy that bo- book has oh, brought I, me. I think so. That's a good two thing. sittings, chomp, gone. Yes. Oh God, it's good. Please get it if you're listening and you like mm. actory things. Well, I'm sure I'm going to devour it over the week, and then we can discuss next week. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah there's so much oh, advice yes. in there for actors, and it's not bollocks. The page mm. I showed you the other day. Yeah, it was on about it all gets muddled. He's yes, about how Stanislavski gets the actor muddled. That's it. And I, so after you'd shown me that bit, I went straight into the into the theatre and I read that to the students. That was the and, hope. And they went, oh, and yeah. and it, something, something, something twigged. Something. Was well, he's twigged. got this. I think it was Brando that said that acting is no job for a man. Mm. Um, and I know what he meant by that. Because coming from my world, it's certainly no job for a man. Oh, no. No, no, no. So um, the way that I, I suppose, the mindset I adopt in order to justify this behavior mm. to myself is that I do view it workmanlike and he views it workmanlike. Mm. You know, uh, stop dressing it up, stop being fancy. It's a job and you've got to understand what you're doing. Yeah, you know, in the same way that um, my granddad would uh, weld up locomotives, in order that people could get to their work, mm. um, I'm welding up characters and scenes mm. and our words and all these other bits in order for the working person to take the money that they've, you know, sweat for. Mm. Why should they go out, get up in the morning? drop the kids off, whatever, go to work, get paid at the end of the week, take the money and come and see me. Why should they? Mm. Because I'm working too. So I suppose that's the way I justify it to myself. And he's very like that. Yeah. Well, no, you're right. I mean, we, we can refer to it as the craft and all that sort of thing, but ultimately it's just a job. It's, just gotta... it's the best job in the world, by the way. Oh, it's a lovely thing to do when you're doing it, isn't it? But ultimately the, the job is just learn up, say the word, turn up, learn the words, say them and don't bump into the furniture and you're doing Absolutely. all right. That's but, basically it. Um, in the same way that, you know, my granddad fabricated locos, I have mm. to fabricate reality for the for the people. I have to work at that, you know, and I, I like do you, that. Do you, I mean, when you say you've got to work at it, don't you just... Yeah. Is it not something that's inherent? And you just sort okay, of okay. The basics of it, I think that if they survive intact from childhood, mm. this ability to see, you know, the skyscrapers when you're playing Batman in the playground or whatever it mm. may be, if if you can keep that intact mm. into adulthood, so that's the sort of basic thing you need in mm. order to be able to convincingly react to situations, events, and things that aren't there. Mm. I think that I'm sort of with the Donald Winnicott on that. Mm. All creativity comes from play. Um, mm. So you've got to have that intact. But I suppose it's, when I say it's work, it's it's work once you've done, it's not work once you've done the work. Once you've got those key skills set in your head mm. and you are able to do it, then it's just a case of turn, the kitchen fitter turning up, isn't it? Who's fitted a thousand kitchens yeah. and he can, he, he can fit a kitchen. That's it. Um, but so yeah, it's just, once you've learned the skills, then you're there, really, and it's just like learn the words. That's the bugger. With things that I do, 
mm. which generally involve you as well. Mm. With those kinds of things, there's generally never the time to to think about it too much. Well, no, there's not. I mean, this is where I fall foul with bloody Shakespeare, I suppose. Because if I'm doing one of those damn things, then I'm in the kitchen at quarter to five every morning, giving it two hours of shouting. Well, quiet shouting before heading off to work. And that's, but that, well, I know that uh, obviously we, we've got the lovely quote from, what's his name? Gambon, Michael Gambon, about, you know, how with Shakespeare that shit sticks forever. And it does sh stick forever, but Christ, getting it in there in the first place, that's, that can mm. be a bit exciting for a new play. If it's a play you're unfamiliar with, it's amazing. If it's a play that I've not been in, but I'm familiar with, then I kind of, I go, oh, this is just familiar enough for me to absorb it. If it's one I don't know, then that's a that's a tricky yeah. one, you know, because you don't have you don't have those set assumptions about the play because everybody does Shakespeare differently, and you don't want to just go, well, I'll play King John like Leonard Rossiter played King John. You know, you want to do something new with it, mm. so you need to know the character that you're looking for before you start on the lines to enable you to say them and learn them. And it's a bugger having to do that. I, yeah. I find that I find that trying. I find I have to sort of dip into a theory that people... In order to teach acting, you've got to dip into the books and the theory and this, that and the other. But I don't think anyone has, has ever really adequately uh, come up with a set of rules in order to tutor someone in what I regard as innate. Mm. Do you get what I mean? I think that there's certain sort of yesterday when we were on about Gibson's ecological theory of perception. So everything in the world is a tool or an obstacle. Yes. So that's uh, a good way of describing something that one intrinsically knows if you're approaching, you know, you've got to set the room out in your head. and It's just being a kid again, all that sort of thing. Well, that absolutely is. But again, now this is where I think, you know, if you're reliant on a good writer. You know, if you've got a good writer and you get to know their rhythms and things like that, then the work will sink in. So in my case, with, obviously, again, it's, it's Shakespeare. And because there was no rehearsal and no director when he wrote, the stage direction is all there within the punctuation. But it's also breath control is there. And that's when he does that lovely thing we've mentioned before in Macbeth, where he uses commas. And if you take a breath where he's placed the commas, during the speech just after the murder of King Duncan, then the actor ends up having a bit of a panic attack. And then Shakespeare spaces the commas back out to regulate your breathing again. So if you're working with a writer, not just Shakespeare, but a good writer, then I think that it's all there on the page for you. If the writing is good enough, it's all there. And then you're right, you just unlock that little bit in your head. And I don't think it's about belief for me. I think it's the bit that just takes the handbrake off and goes go up there and you know because you've got to do that with theatre haven't you? you can't go subtle particularly everything's got to be a little bit heightened because you're a, a little dot on a big stage mm -hmm. but I think once I take the brakes off and I'm not afraid of screaming and crying and when a director says can you wander around in just your underwear you just go yeah because right. mm -hmm. by that point you're just elsewhere I don't you're not within the play it's not like I believe that I'm in medieval England doing King Lear. I'm somewhere else, and it's just a, a pure belief. Pure it's belief. It's all on the emotion for me. Oh, yeah, pure belief in the it's emotion. It's all I mean, on yeah. the emotion. I don't sort of... I, I wouldn't take myself into a, a certain... Well, I suppose I would in, in terms of a historical piece because 
to have some kind of emotional context to how people would have acted in that time. You know, I mean, the one of the best conversations I had with somebody years ago was a guy telling me that his partner was from Thailand mm. and that if, I think we just observed somebody having a screaming match on the street. Right. Um, and he was just, he said, if you do that over there, they think you're fucking crazy. Mm. If you even raise your voice. And then it's it, it's sort of, that was a kind of insight into, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the attitudes to emotion and the exhibition of emotion is different in each culture. Mm. And it's different in each time scale, really. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that a really, a good writer, Shakespeare, writes about emotions and Shakespeare writes about love and lust and jealousy but it's and what anger. reaches the surface well it's not this about is the, thing. the emotion you're feeling it's what you exhibit well this no but this is the thing you see with, with Shakespeare because he's writing about those emotions that you and I and everybody watching or listening everybody will have felt these emotions so we are still in touch with them but what's brilliant is the words that are used because rather than going on stage and being angry you get a soliloquy explaining what anger is and why it's affecting you so because you've got that I think you've got so much information there that you can then just colour it, wash it over with the emotional performance. And I think it's right there. But again, it's down to it's down to the writing, isn't it? It's always down to the well, writing. The clues are in there. The, the interpretation is, you know, um, mm. it's up to, well, ultimately the director, but I like directors who allow the actors to just take it where they want to and then they can either trim mm. or do their job, which is direct. Yeah. Know, so they trim or they heighten or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, I have a very, um, what's the word? I suppose I, I trust someone else rather than go on intuition in the final analysis. Okay. In a rehearsal room, and do then you, you, on the night, you'll just kind of, you know, you, you, you know, we're all colluding in the illusion that those few hundred people aren't there. So there's that. But they are there, yeah. and you are feeding on their emotions, and they're feeding on yours. Yes. So there's that conversation that's going on emotionally, mm. and so the performance will find itself in different areas each night. Mm. Really? Yeah. No, that's true. That's films true. a very different animal, obviously. Oh God, yeah. Uh, pardon, but oh yeah. Well, the the repetitive side of film, the mm. the retakes. But it's all about the emotion for me acting oh yeah you i find that i can click into the emotion if it's yeah. on a page right yeah, absolutely and then it's like oh fucking hell i can feel sad and stuff like that mm. i think that's it really at the basis of what i do it's just empathy i think yeah. i'm a, sort of pr more prone to being an empath anyway yeah so oh, i no, find I'd, that easy i'd agree with that i don't think you can be a convincing actor if you can't empathize because mm. if you if you can't understand what Titus Andronicus or anyone from <coughs> from a Pinter or anyone from any play, if you can't empathise with how they're feeling, how can you portray that? You know, you, you can't, you're just fannying around then, you just, well it's the difference between performance and acting for me, it's always that thing, you know acting is empathy emotional empathy and performance is just eh, look at me, no <laughs> it's it's all that why should somebody get up in a morning go and do a job potentially that they hate and then with that you know precious bit of money they get why should they come and give it me you know 
And it's because you're doing something that they can't do and you're providing an escape hatch. Yeah, but like we were saying before, there's nothing special about that because at the end of the day, I can't fix my car. Not that I've got a car. So I would take it to somebody with that skill set, ultimately. It's just that transaction of skills. It is a well, transaction. But ultimately, that no one set of skills is more important than the other. In fact, I would say that probably having quick fit is more important than having the RSC. But uh, Don't under... Well, the RSC is a different matter. Don't underestimate the the sort of the power of escape from mm. the mundanity of reality you know i think a lot of actors undervalue the utility to society and society certainly undervalues it obviously i'd like to take that right back i don't think that for a moment the quick fit's more important than the rsc i just I, just as i said that i thought what the hell are you talking about absolutely well, not the rsc is not what the rsc was is it? the rsc is magnificent and if i have to make that choice between closing every branch of quick fit and giving all the money to the rsc or vice versa i'm afraid that simon russell beale will be a very happy chap spoken like a non-driver yes absolutely yes so twelfth night twelfth anyway. night Yes. Uh, Epiphany, which I think uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church refer to as Little Christmas. Mm. Yes. That's nice, isn't it? Little Christmas. So you can have a little Christmas. The Epiphany. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) not. Ah, yes. So, uh, the Epiphany. We've all had many epiphanies in our lives. I think it's the baptism of Christ. I think that's what the root of it is. Okay. I think so. Okay. I think so. Righty-ho. Right. And you, uh, your understanding is? Uh, my understanding is, well, I mean, I'm just, I've no idea. I think I, I'm I just, right. I don't know, though. See, I realised that before, that I, I just don't actually have a bloody clue um, as to what it is. I've had many an epiphany in my life, certainly. Mm. But, uh... <laughs> 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 yes. But, Anyway, have you taken your decorations down, dear? I haven't put any up, so that's easy. What do you mean? Why not? Why not? Oh, because I was ill. Oh. I, I went up in the loft and dragged out all the bloody cotton wool you use as snow. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> We've got... Well, rather, I've got um, decorations that go back to the 1940s, some of the baubles for the tree. So mm-hmm. they're old friends when you get them out. And you decided on this occasion you didn't want to see well, your Well, I got my old friends out. Yes. Um, and now I couldn't be bothered playing with them. Oh, um, dear. No, so I've got a little chimney stack with fir trees around. It's all plastic with a mm. little drummer boy in it that mm. uh, Auntie Margaret brought one Christmas. I think that would probably be 1978, 79. Right. There's a little guy with a sort of papery hat thing that's all gold and very brittle 1950s plastic. And he's got, like, googly eyes. He's great. Um, right. And I'd love to have sat there and, and gone out and purchased a tree and put all this up, as I do uh, each other year. But I was ill. And by yeah. the time I was well, mm. we'd kind of got past Christmas Day. And then it's like, oh, I'll have to pull them all down in a week. So what's the point? Mm. So I put some fairy lights around the fireplace. Oh, okay. Well, that's a start. So I'll take them down. Why? Why not leave them up? They'd look lovely know, in they're... summer. Come summer when you don't want to light the fire, you can still have some light around. I know, it. I have considered that. I have considered yeah. that. But then doesn't it take away, doesn't it detract from the specialness of coloured lights at Christmas? No, absolutely not. I think no. the, the, the more girish coloured lights, the better. 
That's what I've I got think. ones I'm... for the garden I never put out last summer. I bought them. You know, the oh, soul I've... of jobs. Oh, I've got loads of them out there, just everywhere, just planted around the place. And I'm thinking with the with the shelves because I've because I've sorted the shelves this week, which is hmm. exciting. I'm thinking a row of lights along the bottom would be quite. You nice. can get LEDs literally on a roll, and you roll them out. I'm thinking sellotape for some reason. What do you mean? So you get now, it's like a, a coil of, like, they're like on a little rope-y thing, plastic rope thing. They're all lights. And you right. get a little remote control with them, and you press it, and you change the colour, and you can have it alternating colours and stuff like that. But it does look like there was some sort of, like, string of jizz under my shelf, wouldn't it? I mean, Not if you well, fit them correctly. Jizz. You've got to fit them. Hmm. Well, well you know, nail them up. <laughs> I don't know. But well, oh. you get Malcolm round to do that. Oh, I could get Malcolm round. Good point. Yeah. I haven't had Malcolm round for a bit. We'll what get Malcolm round. What you could do, what I've done in my kitchen, is you could attach a strip to the front of your shelves, right? A strip mm. of beading all the way around. The lights could go in the recess, and then the lights would shine down. You wouldn't see any of the mechanics of them. What do you mean beading? I'm thinking. I don't know why. I, I always, whenever you anyone says beading or beads, I think of Floella Benjamin's hair because she no, used to have beading beads is in like it. thin strips of wood that go over things, isn't it? So, for example, along the bottom of your door, if you cut your door too short, you know, say you've got a door that's catching, right. fouling on the carpet, Whoa. you might take the door down and cut, you know, a couple of mil off the bottom of the door or plane it, right? And then, when you put the bloody door back, it's like, now it's too big, it's like in a draft in. So you get a piece strip of beading and put it across the bottom of the door to accurately reflect the camber of the carpet. But this is like the Bronze Age. You can get people to do this. So why don't you get a door that's the correct because height? Because there's no better Fanny pleasure than improving bits your, off your own door. workspace. There is. A living there's, space. There's an awful lot more, which is if oh, you get Malcolm round and Malcolm does it while you've gone to Aldi and you come back and it's done. No, I don't hold with that, me. I well, prefer to be the master of my own kingdom. Well, so do I. I can say, Malcolm, go away when he's finished. And he goes you away. Till, till, but till then I you've got that him. satisfaction of a job well done. I've got the you've satisfaction mastered, of Malcolm's work. You've mastered some practical craft. I mean, you know, uh, they've proved that, you know, when you, when you attempt and successfully execute a task that you've never tried before that you grow new parts of the brain, you know, you, you regenerate brain cells, brain cells, brain cells, you, uh, the telomeres in your cells lengthen, which means you live longer. Whoa. Okay. Because anything that's new to you, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It goes back to, you know, the Wordsworth poem, Intimations on Childhood, mm. where he says, you know, uh, wheresoe'er I roam, the things I've seen I can never see again, or whatever it is, I can't remember, I see no more. So mm. he's he's not seeing the world for the first time like a child does, you know, that's why he concludes to be a child is to be a mortal. You've done everything, you've seen everything by the time you hit middle age. Therefore, how do you reintroduce zest and vitality into one's life? You attempt something you've never done. Well, you could, yeah. You know, learning a new language is... 
probably. Oh, that's that a no. That's a ridiculous it. pain in the ass, though, isn't it? That's a, that. That is a difficult thing. It means that you grow new bits of your brain. It does, but here's the thing. So when I go away somewhere, I'll try and learn a few words of the local dialect. Picardio and Cokio, Absolutely not. I usually get a few things down, you know, and I've I've got a fair smattering of Spanish at the moment because of that play. So, which is lovely. That was the paella you ate last night. There you I've got a smattering on that. However, however, then I forget it. So does that part of the brain then shrink? Back? You're not putting it into long-term memory, are you? So you've got the oh, no. outside of your brain, the sort of knobbly bit. We all know the brain. That's one brain you've got, the right. neocortex. So that's what we're using our neocortex now. Right. Occasionally, we will dip into the cerebrum, the bit yes. in the middle that, that is where you shove. So neocortex... You know, uno, Bacardi, on cocio, popovo, right, whatever yes. it is. And then you'll say, oh, that was useful. I'll shove it into the other bit that makes me remember. So what you're doing by your smattering mm. is, for you, it's just in the moment, it's useful. I don't need it now. Correct. That's that's what's happening. So right. you've got like, you've got one brain, the neocortex, yep. then you've got the cerebrum on the inside. I think I'm getting all this right. And then in the middle, you've got the R complex, which is your reptilian brain. And that's why it's called the R complex, because it's the reptilian complex. What? Re you, no, are you going to do one of those royal family or all reptile? Are you going to go all David Icke on me now? Are you? No, you got your part. Right. So you know what your third eye is, don't you? Well, yes. Well, <laughs> well, so in the yes. middle of your brain, you've got a yes. thing called the yeah. R complex. Right, right. Which is literally a reptilian brain. It's the same as a reptile has. And right. So if I two... cut a lizard's head off and I pull its brain out, which I might do, then mm. that's going to look like the inside of my brain. The centre. You know, you've got your two hemispheres. Yeah, yeah. It'll look like the centre. Yeah. Yeah. You remove Between... them and in the middle you've got the R complex, which contains the pineal gland, which has in the a lens and an eye. Right. In the middle of your head is an eye. Okay. With a lens in it. And they reckon what? No. So that is the R complex, and according to uh, the you know medical science, that is where things like fear, love, and those really sort of our basic motor functions live. Right. The hemispheres uh, are sort of bolted on top, and they're the humany bit. Okay, but are they saying? Are you saying? Hmm. Holding you accountable here. Yes. That that this is some sort of evolutionary thing. To do with reptile, you're not saying that, are you at all? That's what science says about it. What we've it's kind of our kind of primordial brain, and the rest of it developed around it via evolution. Yeah, but we weren't wandering around at some point looking like we were from you know when dinosaurs roamed the earth. I don't know. You'd have to look into what they think. I mean, as far what? as I know, Lizards. we were like little mammals, weren't we? In dinosaur well, yes. times, they reckon. Right. And then after them, because they didn't eat us. Yeah. I think this is the thinking. We right. kind of evolved into all these different things. Monkeys and that. Yeah. But I've never seen anything on an evolutionary scale that says, oh, before you were the little thing that looks like a hamster, you were this fucking iguana dog. Let's look it up. Let's, let's fact check me. Well, I R think complex. we should. Because I've never heard this evolutionary notion before. Very interesting. Okay. R complex, the brain. The right. triune brain, the R-complex, this is Wikipedia, dear, also known as the reptilian brain, includes the brain stem and cerebellum. The term reptilian brain comes from the fact that a reptile's brain is dominated by the brain stem and cerebellum, which controls instinctive survival behavior and thinking. This is similar in humans. 
So it's not... Right, okay, so I wasn't scaly at some point. That's the key thing. Well, I don't know. We might have been. I mean, no bugger knows, do they? Well, no, they do, because they dig things up. And I reckon at some point... They survived that far, though, from us. I mean, we were that little, they reckon, don't they? What is the oldest they've got of us? Isn't it uh, 160,000 years or something? I've no, I could, top of my head, I can never remember this. It's not in my reptile brain, so I can't remember. But, but your reptile brain is there for survival. The art right, complex okay. is, is, is there for survival. Right. I think it contains the pineal gland. Let me have a... Have a quick uh, look at that. Uh, uh, the pineal gland, apparently, is the yeah. third eye, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, pineal gland, the ephesus cerebri. Is a small endocrine gland in the brain of most vertebrates. It produces melatonin, so it knocks you to sleep. Right. Yeah. But, you know, when you see the eye in the middle of the head in all the old sort of ancient pictures. Or Doctor Who and the Silurians. Or Doctor Who and the Silurians. That's referring to the pineal gland. Right, okay. Which in sort of, I think I'm right in saying, in... uh, kind of buddhism and things like that is your sort of portal to the universe when you're meditating mm-hmm. your third eye right bill hicks does the routine on it doesn't he, he says that watching t- advertising uh, watching tv adverts is like taking a kind of spray paint to your third eye okay anyway there you go i'm thinking about reptiles now though and also i've just checked bonjour la classe was a sitcom 1993 oh, it's a real so... one not like the Derek griffiths one this is a real one this is a real one however yeah um and, and starring Nigel Planer, good. We but like then, Nigel. We like Nigel, but unfortunately, uh, broadcast at the beginning of 1993, so it's outside our remit. Just, ah, what a um, shame. Oh. Do you remember Roll Over Beethoven, though? I remember, oh, was that Lisa Goddard? And Nigel Planer. I don't remember. I, Nigel got, Planer had like a permed mullet. In yeah, it. I think I was... Probably, I was, may have seen the opening titles, but that's one of those programmes in our house, which when it came on, it would be off. Well, Just, it was a Monday night ITV sitcom, which are never very good. Right, absolutely not then. No. So that would have PM been, job. click off, that would have, wouldn't have been allowed. I think the music would have sounded far too ITV. I think what potentially happened was that, give us a clue, I'd like, maybe a couple of months off, you know, a year. Hmm. I think that's where those ITV sitcoms on a Monday night went. You know, like a duty-free or, uh, what is it, Come Back Mrs. Noah? Yes. We were on about. Oh, oh no, that's BBC, though. Oh, is it? That's oh, BBC. I, that it, it feels... TV written across it. It feels like it should be Yorkshire Television. No, yeah. it's, I, it's BBC One. Molly Splendid. Sugden in space. That is just the best. It's I brilliant. must see it. You've sent it me and I will watch Said it. You, you've got to have a watch <clears> of that. It's literally just Molly Sugden on a Kirby wire in front of a green screen floating about. In a about. In a tin hat, shouting. Just boss. That's wonderful. Just wonderful boss. Stuff. Mm. Have you got any nice things this week? Oh, well, I don't know, Mike. Have I got anything nice to... Oh, for the benefit of our listeners, Paul is pointing out a Blue Peter badge. Good Lord, have I got one yes, of those? Yes, so you may as well have a big badge that says, I'm a Protestant, kick me. Absolutely, I agree. So, you, where's your magpie T-shirt? You haven't got no, one. we don't go in for ex. It's it's the uh, it's the you know thou shalt not create false idol. We don't. Oh right, to, okay. Uh, we we so, adhere to all the commandments. Oh, all of them. You just worshiping Mick Robinson once or Robertson. Yes, I've got a shrine in the bathroom. Ah, right, fair yeah. enough. Anyway, uh, yes, I appear to have obtained a blue Peter badge after about forty-five years. And you were told not to tell the world how you got it. Can't tell anyone how I got it. Mm. Yeah. 
not going to either. And that doesn't mean it's by nefarious reasons. I like to think that I've probably done enough now that I deserve one of these. It's just well, it's of taken course, me... as Biddy said, as she handed it over, there you go, that wasn't so bad, was it? Here's your there badge. You there you go, except it's taken me 44 years to get to the point or so, you know, if I started at four or so, it's taken me about 44 years, and it should normally take you about six. Hmm. But but the problem is, I couldn't be asked when I was little. I wanted to. So How you know, did you get one? You, you literally wrote in. That you could write in, and you could write in, you could send a picture, you could write a recipe, you could tell them an interesting thing. It was anything. Right. And I didn't. I could have done. You should be in your cub outfit with that. I bet you were I, a cub. I was a cub, yes. Proper. What do you mean? You're everything what? that's wrong with this world. What's wrong with being a cub? I enjoyed it rather a lot. I didn't like all the sort of the bits with you know, the saluting and things. I did that with exactly. a wry look. Well, exactly. I didn't take that seriously. Oh, yes, no, I, I was a cub at St. Stephen's Church. Uh, no more uh, battered scones for me, Mater. I don't see I'm being off to in play the, the grand piano. As a particularly. Is this an upper class pursuit? I thought Baden Powell meant this for all boys apart from the Catholics who aren't allowed in. Not allowed in. No, I used to. Uh, I used to watch with with IRA MV. videos. No, uh, no, no. I used to watch. <laughs> I used to watch the boys filing in their green uniforms at St James in envy. Yeah, and I used to actually envy. I don't know why, but I envied the Protestants. Their Sunday school was it? Was what was Catholic Sunday school like? Was it quite oppressive? Serving mass. Oh God, of course, yeah. I'd serve mass. That was it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, you'd serve. Oh. You see, you were being groomed for leadership of the nation. Well, whereas we were that, being groomed yes. to serve. Mm. No, yes. I, you see, I read, I, I loved the whole bit of Sunday school because, of course, you get 25 minutes in. And then what was lovely is that when we left to go into the room at the back of the church, there would be organ music to play us out. So that was incidental music as far as I was concerned. So I would always milk walking down the aisle rather a bit too long. I bet you bloody did. Oh, I enjoyed that. It's a completely different experience, isn't it? Well, it is. Well, no, but there was a terrible experience once when, for some reason, because it was always nice old ladies who ran the Sunday schools. You know, that's all it was. Nice old ladies and they had biscuits. So I liked them. But then one week, it wasn't nice old ladies. What it was, was young people. I thought right. you were going to say escaped convicts in nun outfits then. No, I mean, that would be That wonderful. would have been exciting, wouldn't no, it? No, no, no. And you but sort the... of notice the stubble. And oh. Then, so it'd be like an Enid Blyton, the, the Paul Carmichael adventures, where you'd sort of like, that nun had some interesting stubble, Mama. Uh... And then you'd go back at night and these nuns <laughs> would be like, they'd, they'd take the wimples off and these nuns would be like, right, so we're going to knock over the old vicar tomorrow night, Reg. Yeah, that's right, Ronnie. And and then, you know, you'd sort of like, unhand him, you brigand, and punch <laughs> the sort of convict nuns. Yes. And then you'd have them on the back of a cart on top of all the hay, and then you'd have homemade lemonade and honey. Hurrah! The end. No? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. That, that, I'd read that book as a kid. I'd love... Oh, I'd have lived that. The Young Strong Arm Adventures. Perfect. That's what we need. No, yes. no, what happened here is a load of people who were probably about 20 came in to take it instead but you we mean had to... trendy christians trendy christians Ooh, and we had no. to we had to go to to a house near the church so we were actually taken out and walked out and i was like what the fuck is going on here was there a it... drum kit involved there was a drum kit there was a there guitar always is. what is it with that 
I don't know, but I ended up in this terraced house near Penny Lane in the living room. Like, what the hell am I doing here with these younger people playing guitar? Absolutely not. No. And that was the beginning of the end for me in religion. That really, My that trendy really Christians aren't me. what you need. No, you need songs of praise and being shouted at by old women. What I'd like is a Sunday nuns. school run by uh, Fr uh, Franny Craddock. That's what I need. With stubble. She may well have had that. Yeah. Bit of fanny stubble. Would have looked like a gorilla's fist down there. Uh, I should imagine it would, yes. Poor Johnny. <laughs> yes, I'd have read yes. the young strong arm adventures by Enid Blyton. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I fully approve of them. Yeah, these. yeah. Yes. Yeah, they'd have been good then. I've, um, mm. I've, I've forgot about a Christmas present, uh, which I've been working my way through this week, uh, which is Amicus Horrors. Have I mentioned oh. this? You haven't? No. No. Uh, so it's the story of the Amicus films, which I think Amicus is Greek for friends, mm. which is nice, That's because uh, Messrs. Sabotsky and Rosenberg were mm. Amicus, who mm. you know from the Dalek movies. Absolutely. Um, and... Uh, I think that's very nice, calling a company after the word for friends. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And they made some crackers, as you know. I don't think you've ever watched any of the Amicus, have you? Well, I've watched the two Dalek films. I have. No, there's one. There's one I've seen. But uh, but no, but what's good here is, yeah, that's lovely. Amicus, friends. But mm. if you say the word, no, Amicus, it's like you're summoning the devil, isn't it? So I've, It's got that lovely, yeah, yeah. I would never have thought to actually, well, what does that mean? I've never thought of that. And then suddenly it's like, I've, I've just thought, you know, ooh, amicus. Well, it's, it's become a kind of meme, hasn't it, for crypts and graveyards Absolutely, and stuff like that. Yeah. Because we know, the well, I know the film so well. I mean, surely you remember those horror double bills on BBC Two on a Friday. Was it on I BBC One, whichever no, it was? Not entirely sure. Is Tales from the Crypt anything to do with this? Yeah, that's an amicus. Right. That's, that's the one with Ralph Richardson. Right, now then, though, is it? Because I had a video, a VHS tape which was called Tales from the Crypt, right? And it was three shorts, mm. but they were hosted mm. by Patrick McNee. So they were based on the American comic book. Right. Uh, I think it was Chetwind Hayes. He was the guy who originated John Chetwind Hayes. I could be... I'm, I am going to be wrong. Okay. Um, so it was an American comic book. Uh, and Tales from the Crypt itself was... Mm. Uh, based upon that, I think it says. Let me have a quick look. Have a quick if look. If I'm I right certainly... on John Chetwin Hayes, I'll be happy with that. That would be impressive. But no, I just remember because I, I I rented it from the video shop by my dad's a good few times. But it was mostly because I like Patrick McNee's links because they were shot on that dreadful American sort of videotape that they shot Roseanne on. Yeah. So he looked bright orange, but he was so obviously reading. You know, ah, Chetwin just... Hayes. There we go. But it was just so obvious that there was an auto cue there, and that he hadn't read them before. Um, so he ah, was you're just talking, sight reading. you're talking chubby, Patrick, aren't you? Oh, oh he was. Yeah. He manages to keep the weight down until the new Avengers, mm. and then he sort of starts relaxing in the eighties, doesn't he? He'll turn up in a Jaguar in Magnum, yeah, and he's put a bit of timber on, mm. yeah, and then I, he does a lot of American telly. He does, but I, I like a chunkier McNee. Do you? I do. I like a chap. I mean, I, I I I love him in every version well, yeah. of him. Yes. Um, because he's another one of those guys. It's just like, oh yeah, part of the family. In you, mm. in you come, Patrick. No, absolutely. I was always disappointed when he would appear on Clive James, which he appeared on quite a lot, being interviewed. I don't remember that. 
Oh, yeah, but it was always via satellite from his home in Palm Springs, California. And I thought, he should be here. I know, Didn't but like he that. was very transatlantic. Wasn't his mother American? I'm not sure. I know that his childhood was fascinating, wasn't it? He was raised entirely by women. No yeah. men at all in his life. Yeah. Um, and they dressed him as a girl till he was about oh, four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, all the photos of him as a really little child. He's dressed as a girl and looks like a girl. And he was raised by um, a couple of lesbian aunts, as I remember. That's oh, how I thought he was his mum was a lesbian. I'm not sure, though. It could be that she ran off from his dad to become a lesbian, but he, certainly it was, it was a lesbian couple who raised him. Hmm. That, yes. that rings a bell. Yeah. He had a, um, a fascinating life. Mm. Yes. Yes, we mm. like Patrick McNee. We do. We do and like Patrick McGee. And Patrick McGowan. And Henry McGee. Well, and yeah. Patrick McGowan. All the yes. Patrick Max. We like all the Patrick Max. All yes. the Patrick Max. Yeah, I got I, Max. I got something. Well, I, I've I got two things. No, I didn't. I got mm. one thing last week that I told you about and you were rude about. So uh, what was that? Well, that was the Aha album. Oh, bloody off! No, 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 no. Right. <clears throat> Do you remember a song called "The Sun Always Shines on"? Yeah, TV? it was awful. No, was it? Right, because. Touch me. That's the one. Right. But, you know, this is the thing. Yesterday, I was walking up the hill and that came on. So I, I listened to it. And all of a sudden, I realised that what it's about is this bloke saying to his to his lady, saying, look, things aren't perfect. There will always be this little annoying thing that stops things being fully enjoyable. But be with me. I love you and all that. And I think for the last 37 years... I've genuinely thought this was a song about a man who's a bit cross because the sun's reflecting on his TV screen. Really? Yeah, really. <laughs> genuinely, I genuinely have. And I went, I, I told Denise yesterday, and I said, I've just worked that out. And she just looked at me and just went, well, and she shook would. her head. She would. But I, I genuinely thought, I it imagined never registered him. enough with me. I hate uh, really? the crap. I just imagined you've got Morton sat there hmm. watching Pebble Mill at one or something. But he has to close the curtains because the sun's on his screen. That's what I've believed it was about for 37 years. Fantastic. So I My job is to lines. tell people how to contextualise art and I couldn't even analyse The Sun Always Shines on TV. I don't I'm... recall any lines about Judy Spears in it. Yeah, there should have been, shouldn't there? I like Ooh, Judy Spears. You could write that. You what? could write that now. What, a song for Judy Spears? No, well, you could. But you could write a song about it being about the sun shining on uh, Pebble Mill at one. That would be a joyous song, wouldn't it? Just do it, I, I say. I might have to. Okay. I think you should. Ooh, I think be a, you should. Be a little ballad, I imagine. Yes. I think that that sentiment was expressed far better by Public Enemy with the song She Watched Channel Zero. The, the, um, they were loud, weren't they? They Ooh. used to shout. Yes, a lot of loud shouting in that. Does the phrase uh, fuck da police belong with them or is that No, that's else? NWA. NWA. Oh, yes. right, yes, right. Yes. We'll yes. leave that though. Yes. yes. No, I, yes. right, okay. Ice <coughs> so what public enemy? Ice Cube. Vanilla Dr. Ice. Dre. I remember I remember hating Vanilla Ice. Oh, Vanilla Ice was dog shit. Right, good. I'm glad we can agree on that. Yeah. Awful. Awful. He'll be person. a pastor now or something, won't he? Oh, he will be in some yeah. Midwest church shouting yeah. with his hair. Still, he still hair. have the hair. Yeah. Okay. I again, 
something that I got confused about there was I assumed that iced tea. So I thought iced tea, ice cream. Is that why he's got... Because he had the shape. Remember when you used to get those blocks of ice cream and you could stick them in a rectangular cone? The walls ones. That's it. So that again... squeaked when you bit them. That's the fella. But yes. again, when I was very little, I assumed that he was named after those because of his haircut. I don't know what I was thinking of. I don't think iced tea had that haircut. I thought he had a sort of a block of hair. No, iced tea had dreads. Still has dreads. Sorry, I'm no vanilla ice. Vanilla ice. That's who I meant. Right. Vanilla ice cream. Now well, it maybe. makes sense. I think it was because he was white he was called vanilla. And ice because his lyrics were ice cold, baby. <clears throat> okay. Somewhat like that. Okay. Well, anyway. Uh, Americans. Anyway. Americans. I, I do. I Again, now you see. I'm getting a little sneaking appreciation for something here because of watching the Batman series. Oh. And I know what I know what you've said. I no. know what you've said. Right. But when you've got George Sanders as your guest star, oh, no, and he plays it so totally straight when he's on it. Mm. So you've got the other two camping it up everywhere, straight down the lens by episode eight. They're just playing it. Yeah. Then you've got George Sanders who comes in and plays it like the star he is, straight acting. Oh, that's that's he lovely. He suicide to watch. a couple of years after that, didn't he? Yeah, but not because of it. No, not because of that. His right, suicide okay. note was something along the lines of, you know, I bought all the cars, I've had all the women, I've got all the houses. There's nothing left to do. I'm bored. Hmm. It's it's something like that. He's oh, so God. sanguine in this note. I must have a look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah. must. Okay. It's just so, like uh, he's not in a sort of. It's it's sort of you know there is a hint of rouge tristesse. Yeah. But it's not like desperate and sad. He's just like, oh, I've done it all. Oh. I know. I'd do more of all of those things. Well, that's it. If you go, oh, I yes. like doing that thing, do it again. Yeah. Or maybe you'd fix a door that was fouling the carpet. No. And that way, you'd grow new bits of the brain, your mm. telomeres would lengthen, or learn a language. Do you remember what happened when I tried to hang this door to my mm. right? It flipped up and got me right in the knackers. That's it fine, nearly killed because me. you can learn from that. I can't because I still can't remember if it was because I took the top hinge off it's first or the you bottom took the top hinge. hinge. I was taking doors off when I was five. What? what just in in World War Two when you were in burgling World War houses? When I grew up, yeah. honestly, what do you mean no, because ha- taking doors died. off? When my granddad died, I was sat down in the chair, informed I was now the man of the house. So it's your job now, Michael. Take all the doors. I got down. given a hammer. I got right. given my granddad's hammer. Go and fix the fence. That's what happened to me when I was five. Right, okay, but I, I could appreciate that you might have been told go and do something, but you weren't yes. immediately told go and take all the doors oh, down. No, it's no, no, I like up to that, that right time I was passage. seven or something. No. No. Oh, I was uh, using polyfiller at six. Oh, I wouldn't use that now. Oh, well, you see, Absolutely we not. No, well, it's nothing to do with being poor. It's it is. More that, it's not. There's holes in the walls, you've got right. to fix them. Right, but right now, you could afford to bring a man in. You could. You actually could. You could. So you don't want to. You, right, why not? That's because just stubbornness. I enjoy stubbornness. it. What do you mean? I enjoy fixing things. I enjoy decorating. I enjoy putting all these shelves up. I enjoy it. I'll sit back, light your pipe, and admire your handiwork, as Swiss Tony said. Or sit back and admire the shelves that no, the bloke made for me. There's no me. achieving that. Well, there is. I paid him. I had to earn the money to pay him. Well, you can view it like that if you want. Oh, I like no, getting no. stuck in. And that's fine. That's fine. Anyway, no, I, something else that I got this yes. week. And, and I grabbed this 
because I noticed that it, basically you couldn't find a copy anywhere all of a sudden. Mm. And then I found one copy in the Netherlands for £4.33, including oh, postage and packaging. Oh. And it is a six-disc set of the little-remembered soap opera for Maddie with Love. Ah, now then. I remember that being, you know, a a card saying coming up next. Yeah. I remember the dollhouse in the credits. In the credits, that's it. Starring Nairi Dawn Porter and Ian Hendry. What a cast. This, this is remarkable because they've made a very, they've made some really interesting decisions when they were in pre-production. First thing is to abandon the usual story structure of a soap. So the idea here is, if a scene needs to be five minutes long, it's five minutes long. And there's an episode, episode 19, as I believe it is, where there's one scene that lasts ten and a half minutes. Just simple as that. So you get that, then it's already the commercials, then it comes back. (coughs) So you've got that, but you've also got that they wanted to focus in on the emotions and the writing so they've spent nothing on the set. It's basically mm. flats, and they'll put up the three flats robber. this way, three flats that way, that's it. And then they'll put a table in it, that's it, you're in the dining room. But it's deliberately, it's got that lovely sort of like symbolic Brechtian sort of thing going on. Mm. Um, what's amazing about it, though, really amazing uh, so far, is the fact that it's about death. Uh, mm. Nairi Dawn Porter plays Maddie, and Maddie discovers that she's dying. Mm. And... By episode 26 out of 40, she's gone. She's dead. And the rest of it then is about Ian Hendry and how he copes with loss. Yeah. And as I said to you, though, that brings up a little bit of a problem. Um, first of all, it's 48 episodes in total, and it should be 52. Mm. And that's because you can watch Ian Hendry's health, they refer to it as in the booklet, declining with each episode. But I think what it was, was Ian maybe went back to the source during Mm. recording it. He only took this job on because he had a big tax bill, that's all, and it needed paying off. Um, But then he's not in the last eight episodes. He gets to episode 40, and then one day he just doesn't turn up to the studio to record. So they have to restructure everything and take his character out. They move it forwards by a year, and then it's Robert Lang, his character, discussing... Uh, remembering Ian Henry. I'm not sure. I haven't got there yet. But anything with Ian Henry is worth watching. Yeah. Um, it's the fact that you've got Nairi Dawn Porter, Ian Henry, Robert Lang, lovely stalwart. Oh, then Lang. Robert Duncan, Gus from mm. Drop the Dead Donkey, mm. Colin Baker, and Graham Crowden. Oh, I presume it's pretty Colin Baker. This It's 1980. Colin Baker, so yes, pretty Colin Baker. We're a pretty couple Colin of years Baker. after the brothers, but pretty yeah. Colin Baker, yeah. Um, so yeah, lovely. I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm really enjoying watching this. This is something to savor. This is an episode a day. This one, and mm. oh, it's beautiful. There used to be this rich seam of, uh, mm. of lunchtime programs, didn't there? This is uh, ATV, and it's because they stopped making the cedar tree, so they went for. Good. No, no, no. That is awful. No, it's not. What do you mean it's awful? <clears throat> it's just dreadful. With Ian Hendry <clears throat> and Nairi Dawn Porter, you really can't go wrong. You really can't go wrong. You I can't. Must, I must just get a copy. I think, if, genuinely, I think this is one which, if you can if you can find it, like I said, I don't know if it's even available from Network now, but if you can find a copy, grab it. This is a 
beautiful series. It's experimental, but I think it's the fact that they allow the scenes to last as long as they need. Mm, Ten minutes. Brilliant. That's yeah. just brilliant. Oh, it's wonderful. Rare, you know, but... Uh, oh, lovely Interesting stuff. that you say that it's said in the book mm. that he didn't turn up one day. Mm. So they... I think you, I think what you said was they, they said, right, okay, forget today. Yeah. We're going to restructure it. And then they started the next day, moved it a year on, a year and made on. Robert Lang the kind of focus of it. That's right. Okay. So... This is more than not turning up one day, right? To restructure in it. I mean, there's more to it than that. If they were saying, "Right, we'll scrap today and start again tomorrow," he could have turned mm. up. So there's got to have been a. I'm done with this. I think what you've got is, like I say, from about episode twenty, and it, and it says here you can <laughs> see him declining with every episode as ill health, yeah. as they say, ill health took its toll. But every episode, you can just see him going down and down and down. I suspect, you know, when he does the Lotus Eaters, there are some days where they've recorded all the studio stuff for an episode, and his voice, it's almost, it sounds like he's gargling, and it's the vodka from the night before that's sort of, like, done something to the vocal cords. And then you've got the stuff that would be shot in Crete, where he's Ian Henry with this lovely voice, and then he walks through the doors, and he's into the bar, recorded at TV Centre. And yeah, it sounds gargly. You know, it's, mm. uh, so I suspect we're going to see a a decline. This is only what three years before he did Brookside, and yeah, that was yeah. that was a shame. That it was... is a shame. I mean, he's not he's not an isolated incident, is he? Of an artist just going down the drink. No, no, um, not at all, not at all. But I mean, with him with him being such a sort of master of his art, it's mm. it's weird to see the decline. I'll bet though that the performances don't suffer, e- even though his health is going. I mean, I'm guaranteeing when you watch it, you'll just be like, Christ, he's still magnificent. Oh, God, he, he is still... I mean, he can still do it. He mm. he sounds... You could, you can sense that he's hungover, but he's still doing the job. And it's, it's in character, though, isn't it? I mean, a, a man who lost his wife. Oh, I, I'm sure it is, and I suspect it'll work better here than the Lotus Eaters, you know, where you've got all your location in Crete, and then they go to the studio in London, yeah. and it just jumps from... Yeah. From very hungovery into perfectly sobering. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although he wasn't always perfectly sobering, Crete. Apparently, Wanda of course Ventham. He wasn't. Wanda Ventham uh, says how one of her main jobs there was she was to handle Ian of an evening because she was the only person they could be certain he wouldn't hit. So that's crazy. Oh, it isn't it. That yeah, would absolutely. not be tolerated today. Oh no, that just wouldn't be tolerated today. Hendry these days would never have become Ian Hendry. He, no. he just wouldn't, because he'd have turned up to one thing pissed, and it would have been, right, blacklisted. I think instantly. that he establishes himself in the 60s, doesn't he, when he's not sort of, um, he's not got the habit as bad as he had it in the end. And he's such a sort of, another very good-looking young actor. That's it. That I he think he's got the habit himself. the same as every, every other person yeah. at the time had the habit. Yeah, that's um, it. But it's just that, it's just that then... Yeah, then it, it it does get out of hand. Well, Edward it? Judd is a similar case, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, but he is. He sort of—I think there was some reason beyond the booze. I think there was some newspaper story with Edward Judd, mm. whereby he just stops working, doesn't he? He doesn't get offered work. He's kind of in the day of the Earth caught fire. He's the sort of handsome leading man, isn't he? Mm, lots of that in the sixties. Yeah, and then he disappears, mm. and then he's kind of on those think bike adverts, isn't he? That's right, yes. And then he's Elsie Tanner's boyfriend or husband. 
Yeah, no, that's right. So I wonder if something must have happened. And talking of something. Talking then, of that. Sorry to sort of complete it. The last thing no, I no. think you can see him in is, do you remember the Jack the Ripper, Michael Caine, Lewis Collins? Oh, yeah, 1988. Love that. He's the police uh, inspector or something. He's Abilene's boss. And ah. in that, he's an old man. Right. You know, it's that's strange. That's, that's a lovely production. I might. He's brilliant in that. To be honest with you, Lewis Collins is so miscast in it, though. Mm. And, and originally, you've seen the footage with Barry Foster. I was about to say about Barry Foster. No, I haven't yet. I was about because that's all been released on Blu-ray, and I was like, "Oh, I haven't got it." Oh, is it? I've got the DVD. Yeah, I've got a very early release. Oh, I've got it on VHS actually, so I must. Yeah. I might get the Blu-ray. Um, but no, absolutely, it, it's a brilliant, brilliant series there. But what I was going to say, the interesting that you mentioned Elsie Tanner, mm. and of course, in real life, she's married to Tony Booth, mm. and. Booth's. No, well, yeah, and that's the thing. There's some episodes of Till Death Us Do Part, because I got that recently. I'm working my way through, and I've got to the second colour series. And there's two episodes where Tony Booth is on set, and in one of them, he only has two lines in the whole thing. And they're really simple things, like, yes, Dad, that sort of line. Mm. And the rest of the time, he just sits there, and he does nothing, and the other three carry, him, carry on around him. Whether he's... I, mean, I presume it's not because he turned up a bit pissed to do the recording. Mm. I suspect, though, during the week, when he should have been re rehearsing, maybe he wasn't fully there. But yeah. suddenly you get this half hour, and it's so curious to watch Tony Booth, mostly with, the, with his back to the camera, so you can't even see his face, smoking, and then occasionally saying two words in the whole thing, while Warren Mitchell carries it. Mm. You know, it's... Uh, they're interesting, those two. There's a... There's an aggression there that I don't feel in the other episodes, and it's not a pretense aggression. It's just in the atmosphere, there's a tension, I think, from Warren Mitchell. Yeah, not I mean, Warren Mitchell didn't suffer fools, did he, or any mm. other nonsense that got in the way of the the job? Oh, God, you know? no, absolutely not. Uh, Bob Stevens in that autobiography is very interesting about, he's very frank about alcohol. Really? Going oh, on yes. stage pissed. Mm. And he also mentions Wilfred Lawson in there. He's wonderful. You know, the guy in the wrong box. Yes. Crying on Peter Cook. Yeah. And he says they'd be in the bar and Wilfred would just be doing uh, large whiskies and pints, just chucking them down. It's like, we're on in half an hour. <laughs> and he's slinging these things down. And he said he'd turn up, he'd sort of walk on the stage, click. Just clicked into the performance. Different gear, perfect. It's amazing. Isn't he it? just says how remarkable it was to watch. Oh. <laughs> There's so many good actory stories in there, especially oh. Olivier's outbursts. Oh, I'm looking for you, cunty faced cunt. <laughs> and then getting into the cab after, and he's like, I shall send two dozen red roses tomorrow. I'm dreadfully sorry. Oh, I love that thing of uh, it's Kenneth Tynan uh, when him and Olivier are being uh, interviewed at the opening of the National and Olivier's there giving it the old Olivier bit and infusing about the venture. And then Tynan just leans in and goes, do you know, my dear, earlier today, Larry said that all journalists are fuck pigs. <laughs> and, then, and then just sat back and Olivier goes red. It's just lovely. Yeah. Well, it's oh. all explained in the book as well about why Tynum was brought in at the National. Mm. Mm. It's the only way they could stop him slamming it. Was to bring him on board? Just to bring him on board. That is brilliant. Yeah, I love yeah. Tynum. He's such oh, a bitch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the Charlie Drake sketch mm. about it. Did you oh. hear it? Did you see it? Yeah. 
is fantastic. Any anyone who chooses to change their middle name to Peacock, I just think fair play to you. And that oh. lovely way that he smoked, but he smokes between his little finger and the finger next to it. He doesn't German smoke smoking. Yes, but it's uh, you know so he can waft the cigarette. Oh. God there's not loved. enough characters. We were on about Sebastian Horsley yesterday, and there's mm. just not enough characters in the world. You're gonna to have to become one. You're gonna to well, have to get a... the stovepipe hat. Yes. The and dress as a Regency fop. I'm happy to do it. And take heroin around the village. Well, it has to be done. Someone's oh. got to do it. Like do I they said, have heroin in the village? Oh no, I don't think so. Not in 1953. It's another person. It's a laudanum. Oh, I would imagine there's yes, a little chemist. In the back, I would think so. No, heroin won't be arriving here for another 30-odd years. No. Absolutely not. No, of course not. not having You'll have to start growing poppies in your garden. Isn't that how they get it? Well, I think so, but I don't know what you do. Yeah. He been smoking pipe of poppy, but... Yes. How? Yeah. There you go. Well, if um, any of our viewers know how to make uh, poppies make into heroin, heroin well, just yeah. drop us a line via via Twitter, where you can yes. find where you can find the show um, at Nice Things Show, uh, and I'm on Twitter as well at Paul Carmichael V, and Macaulay here is there as at Michael Lidsley. Got those bits in. Oh, give us a review on iTunes, would oh, you? Oh, I. Can you hit the five star thing? Even if you don't want to write anything, just put five stars. That's yes. the one to press. Yes. Um, then, because it just helps more people discover the nice things yes. that we waffle about. That would be lovely if you could. Do you remember five star on Razmataz? When the guy I remember them and says the shit. No, no, you're. Have you no. not seen that? Oh, it's no, not no, Razmataz, no. is it? Is it's it going live or something? Saturday Superstore, isn't it? Is it? I think it's Sarah Green, yeah. Where he phones about, oh, yeah, I'd just like to ask five star, why are you so fucking shit? And that's then Sarah it. Green. Thank you. That's it, yeah. Oh, lovely. I loved Five Star. I love Sarah Green. I didn't like Five oh, Star. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we all loved Sarah Green, dear. Yeah. I don't think I liked Five Star. Did you not? I couldn't... Well, uh, were they... Am- they weren't American, No, were they, they weren't Americans. But they... I assumed they were American. They, they were they... kind of presented as sort of uh, that Michael Jackson-y look, that's, weren't they? That's the, the sort of thing. They all wore sort of thriller outfits, I think. That's it. So I, I had the assumption that they were American or that they were to do, pardon, with Michael Jackson. Well, I didn't like him. Oh, I loved Michael Jackson when I was a kid. When I was a kid. Yeah. I didn't like all that thriller and beat it business, oh, but I loved all the Jackson 5 stuff and stuff. Uh, oh, I, I don't mind that, apart from the one where he's singing about his dead rat. So, oh, no. I don't like the dead rat one. No, I don't, I don't like, like that, that film. But I used to have to go... I didn't have to go. But there was a girl who lived on the same street I lived, and they had a VHS player before us. And her dad had bought Thriller on VHS, and the full ver- the music video is about right. 14 minutes long. Yeah. And I would sit there and sit through that bloody film about once a day after school. Oh, no. Thinking I was, you know, maybe going to get a bit of a bit of a kiss or something. Oh, I see. Yes, that's all it was, and I Base sat versions. through that. Oh, yeah. Didn't work. Never did. None of that stuff did. No, just well, watched Thriller far did. too much. Occasionally it did, but mm. it was all worth it. Oh, it's all part of the weave and weft of life, dear. Mm. You know. Oh, yeah. um, we haven't talked about the Epiphany much, so there you go. There There's you go, the that's the Epiphany special. <laughs> yeah, the Epiphany special where we didn't bloody talk about it. <laughs> no, don't do that cause I, no, because I need a wee, so don't do oh. that. Cause I, no, because I will. You could soil yourself like Al Capone used to do. Did he just... He did. did I didn't know he soiled himself. Ooh, he for had uh, syphilis, didn't he? All right, so this wasn't for pleasure. No, 
wouldn't no, sit there and just not. do a I don't big think anyone piss. stars themselves. Oh, well, maybe some do. I think you'll maybe find some, some MPs. People. No, some people do. No, they don't. They do. They genuinely do. They wear big man-sized nappies and then they roll on their backs like they're a baby. Oh, and then they're they, freaks. They foul themselves. They're just freaks, though, aren't they? Well, yeah, but these people exist. Oh. I know. Let's they get exist. back to talking about the baptism of Christ. Well, <laughs> rather than shitting on a glass coffee table. Oh, I don't like any of that. Well, no, I know, I know you don't. It, that's it, that's the Catholicism, isn't it? The dislike. No, of... I just think it's decent, just basic good manners. What, not to shit yourself? Yeah, don't soil yourself. Well, not in public. <clears throat> well, not anywhere. Well, no, but sometimes it's involuntary, like if you've had far too much coffee. The only time as an adult I've had any kind of unspeakableness <laughs> was when yes. I had a really bad flu. And I, ha- I've had the flu twice in my life. Right. You know, you're like, oh, I had the flu. No, you did. Well, no, you maybe didn't. you, you had did. A cold. No. So I've had some really bloody awful colds, but I've had twice. I've had the flu. Right. And you think you're gonna die? Oh <laughs> like, yeah, it's probably gonna die. Oh yeah. You remember that old thing about people ringing in work ill, mm. and it's like, right, the old benchmark for not coming into work ill is if the boss had five grand mm. on his desk. Or her desk. Yeah. And you were too ill to get into work to take the five grand. Then you were too ill for work. Right. Okay. That was the old sort of metric by which they measured it. Well, Word. I've had two lots where I couldn't have got in for the five grand. Blimey. That's, you know what that's, I mean? That's proper on, flu. And on one of these, there was an accident? Something happened, yeah. <laughs> mm. oh, I don't like to think about it. Well, no. I mean, mine was just because deep pan pizza used to do a thing where you could get as many cars. <laughs> <laughs> just greed. Yes, because they said it was unlimited <laughs> coffee. You know, we will keep refilling your coffee cup. So I took that as a challenge. And one day I went with my friend and I think I had 19 cups of coffee. So... <laughs> I know, got got back, got the bus back, felt a little bit dodgy, and then I, I had to walk round the corner, and I was on my mum's street, and I thought, oh, problem, and I literally turned the corner, and then, quack. Quack. Ah, oh. you made it to the lavatory. No, 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 quack, in, oh, in the road outside, no. on my mother's street, yes. Walk of shame? Oh, walk of shit, it was dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of a band called Peter and the Test Tube Babies? No. Punk no, band haven't. from Brighton. Right. And their song about all this is never made it, never made it, never <laughs> made it to the bargain time. <laughs> Great song, oh, actually. Lovely. I don't yeah. mind that. It's a sort of um, a Peter Glaze version of what we're talking about. Oh, okay. Because there's that gag in Carry On Doctor, isn't there? Where Peter Butterworth's walking funny and Jim Dale and Peter Gilmore are the trainee doctors having a bet. Mm. Yes. Uh, he's like that. Sorry, sir, we're having a bet here. Now, I-, I say it's hemorrhoids and a pretty bad case, whereas my colleague here says it's lumbago and Peter Butterworth does the whole thing. Now, you said the da 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 da. Yeah, you said the hemorrhoids. You were wrong. And Jim Dale's like, ha! And you said lumbago. I'm afraid you were wrong. All right, then what is it? He's like, as a matter of fact, I thought I was about to break wind. I'm afraid I was wrong. Excuse me. And he sort of walks off, doesn't he? Now, that's funny. That is funny. I can accept that. Right. can accept that. I can't accept the sort of... The reality of it. The reality of people who do it. It's like if Peter Butterworth turned up to do that for fun. Yeah. 
But no in good. real life, no. No good. No. No good. No. I mean, uh, farts are funny. Yes. Poo is not. Vomit is. Did I tell you about vomiting over Christmas? Not enough, no. So the last vestige of this illness, I settled down. Simon Roberts recommended I watch The Name of the Rose, and it was like, okay, that's how, I've always wanted to see that, actually. Right. And he sold me on it. He told me it was semiotics and all this other stuff. And I was like, oh, I like Umberto that. Umberto okay. Eco, yeah. Umberto Eco, yes. Yeah. So um, I was like, right, I'm going to watch that. Anyway, about halfway through, it was like, oh, I feel a bit dodgy here. Mm. Oh, I feel really... And then the next thing, I was lying in front of the fire trying to watch it with one leg in the air. You know, it was just like, this is not going away. And I came upstairs. Yeah. And just like four enormous jets of vomit. Just enormous. And it was just like, oh. So is this, apparently, people who've had that lurgy I had before Christmas, they're like, yeah, two weeks in, you get the vomit. Oh, God. And I was like that. No, I shan't. <laughs> two weeks, more or less, to the minute. Oh, oh my word. Four projectile vomits. And, and then, then, in the middle of the night, a fart that woke me up. <laughs> like, it's just like the som. <laughs> it was one of those farts that I, I sort of, I, I'll, I shall cherish the memory of that fart. Mm. Was it, well, like a trombone sort of noise? Uh, I like yeah, it was brilliant. It was like the theme tune to Johnny Briggs. Exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. When you get one of the... Oh, oh, it was just like... Brap! Yes. And it was like, wow! Portsmouth Symphonia. Oh, they're impressive, those ones. They're impressive. But, crucially... It wasn't to issue. Well, that's important. It's <laughs> very important. Don't want to yeah. shit your bed. No. And that's what happened when I had that bad flu. Proper train spotting. Oh, no. That's I'm magnificent. I'm afraid so. Oh, dear. I'm afraid so. No. Okay. No. Absolutely well, so that's no. our epiphany special about Jesus. The, the baptism of Christ. Yes. The baptism of my bed sheet. <laughs> it's a beautiful oh. day you got something nice planned for the day oh i've i've uh, well it's it's rather overcast here dear on the oh, peninsula it's here oh, no it's a little the bit epiphany so- i no. mean from fouling the door to fouling the bed yes it's there the we go, story no. of our lord it is no i'm going to uh take the afternoon to um i'm going to get into that robert stevens book oh um, yes what a do remarkable that choice. Listen to records. I think mm. that's the plan for today. Um, I've got a lovely... One of those days I don't have to do much with. And you, you're heading out into the wilds, aren't you? I am, work. I'm afraid. I've got to journey down south once more. Mm. I'm sick of it. Mm. I'm not really. I like no. it. Yes, absolutely. I get a bit sick of the house. I've yeah. done all the jobs. But it would be good if there was a replica of your house there. I'd like a bigger house, actually. Really? Hmm. I need a bigger house. Look, because I did the shelves. This will be useless to those of you on audio, but I've did, did the shelves, and they're they all... They look very nice. I like the... Do- you kept the DVDs, then, or just well, the ones that aren't on Blu-ray? Just the ones well, that aren't on Blu-ray. Um, I, uh, I did the same. I gave them all to the British Art Foundation. Right. I haven't done anything of the sort. They're piled up down there. My intention was to give them to some charitable cause. No, not yet. Well, not, not yet. I just... I, I, I'm... I have to act on things. Yes. Otherwise, it won't happen. No, My no. mum had a boyfriend who had laminate flooring <coughs> stacked up on the stairs, and it had been there 10 years. Mm. I had to go out and stand in the garden. I was just like, no. Yeah. Where you should have put that down. You, you could have put it down, and then next time you shit yourself, it's easier to clean up. Wipe clean. There you go. Wipe clean. 
Yes, maybe that's what it's for. Maybe Al Capone had his men invent laminate flooring. For when he for when he fouled himself. For when he fouled himself. Yes. It's an interesting conjecture you offer here. Yes, yes, yes. It's a thought I don't care to expatiate upon. Not with your Al Capone invented no. sell by dates. Did you know that? No. His son drank milk and it made him deaf because he got some illness off it. And so, you know, the use-by dates mm. on uh, comestibles, mm. Al Capone's the first to insist on their introduction on milk in Chicago or somewhere. I would have thought it was more the gunfire he was listening to that would have made him deaf rather than milk. No, I don't. I think he had his kids sort of safely in his mansion. Oh, uh, okay. Drinking uh, milk. Drinking milk, yes. That made them go deaf. That made them go deaf. Oh! Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> right, there we go. Uh, well, the arrival of the cat reminds me of uh, The Matrix, which you'll never have seen. Absolutely not. No. I watched Matrix Resurrections, the latest one, the other night. Right. Mm, it's quite no, no, it wasn't. No, because you've now got all these bastards with uh, who seem to think that that's a real thing. They don't mm. seem to realise that basically it's a film, and anyway, it's stolen from Robert Holmes in 1976. And now suddenly I've got people on Twitter when I say, you're talking bollocks, they go, oh, you haven't taken the red pill. I'll piss off. Absolutely oh, not. Oh, right, okay. Dullards, no. There is an argument to say we are. There isn't. No, no, there's not. No. Yeah, there is. I, there is not. Well, right, in that case, there's an argument to say anything that you like. Anything. So, all right, then, fair enough. Well, there's an argument to say the moon's made of cheese and that my cat shits no, tenors. No, no, I'm talking about the experiments of Heisenberg and Max Planck. You can go for it all you want, but there's no validity to these bloody things there at is. all. There isn't. There is with that. What's the evidence? Okay, so the experiments, the, the quantum experiments of Planck, right? P-L-A-N-C-K, before you start getting Tommy Cooper in your head. Shit. Um, yeah, um... That subatomic particles are inert until a human being is observing them. And right. then they start moving, right? Right. So there's an argument there that human consciousness has an effect on matter. Makes right. it move, right? So in this five-sense reality that we're in, okay, this frequency that we interpret as the world is just one narrow band of frequency. So there are other, obviously, we know how the... Um, the spectrum of light works, there are other frequencies we're not tuned into. Because at the moment, right, you're surrounded, and I am surrounded by the internet, aren't we? Mm. We're surrounded by it. We pick up our phones, it has a receiver, it interprets all this shit we can't see as the internet, right? Right. Okay. So the other frequencies of light... Sorry, I was checking my phone then. That was rude, wasn't it? Yes, Sorry, it was. I'm, I'm concentrating. Right, go. So the other frequencies of light that surround us, that yep. we're not equipped to... Um, receive mm. are other realities that are constantly going on around us. there's the leap there's the leap no, so all of leap. a sudden that's a massive leap oh there's these other realities bullshit and that's any anyway they covered that in time slip other dimensions not other realities all right i i said can you prove it ah no that's yes. the thing yeah come on then all right i can't but it doesn't right. matter it does matter to me what you need here is a kirkegaardian leap of faith what I need is for people not to think that something starring Keanu Reeves is in fact a reality and using it and thinking that they've won an argument. Well, that is I, just a film. Pricks. 
Well, exactly. But there is an argument within quantum theory to suggest that this is a simulation. And as uh, I think it was Planck said, um, the only fundamental is consciousness. Everything else is just what it uses, a grid, a framework, in order to decode this reality. Max Planck sounds like a German pornography star. He does. Mm. Yeah. There yeah. You there, you there you go. There you are. Max Max Planck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, of course, we found the level <laughs> with strong arms, spirit level. Yes, that's of it. consciousness. Strong arm doesn't care for this nonsense. No, uh, you are thankfully bereft of metaphysical insight, aren't you? Completely and happily mm. so. No. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Well, the Matrix isn't real, but the new film is quite interesting. And the reason why it's interesting is because it's quite meta. So in this film, Keanu is a game developer who did three Matrix games, and he's famous, right? And so he's working, he's talking about working with Warner Brothers, who make the new Matrix film. You get it? Mm -hmm. I quite like that. It feels like an episode of The Tomorrow People where it turns out they actually all go to Thames Television. It's just, no. That's it! Right, they've run out of ideas. That's all this is. They've run they out of run ideas. They have run out of ideas. Of course right. they've run out of ideas. Right, well, stop making it an it's issue a disclaimer fourth... on Twitter saying, it's not real, you're all mental. It's fo the fourth film in a trilogy. I think they have run out of ideas. Oh, God, You don't have. need a disclaimer like that because we know it's not real. No, you do, though, don't you? Because, like, poor old Talking Pictures TV I was reading earlier on, 2018, they got into trouble because they showed an episode of A Family at War, which had a word in that we can't say anymore, a programme shot in 1970, set in 1935, and all of a sudden, they, they, that's why Talking Pictures TV put warnings up before every programme, everything. They mm. just put, this contains attitudes that may offend. There you go. This is like shouting at Mike Baldwin in the street for shagging Deirdre Barlow and upsetting Ken, isn't it? Is it? People who believe these things are real are. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's the telly. Well, there's that. It's it's as bad as people who say, my viewing was ruined because I saw a caption on screen for five seconds saying that I might be offended. I had to throw the television out the window. No, you didn't. It was just an on-screen caption. You can ignore it. I remember you when I didn't know you. I remember you on the Mausoleum Club posting. It's probably out there if anyone wants to look it up. XRDS... Uh, 1895. 1895. Posting a huge rant after the first episode of Doctor Who with Eccleston. Uh, and I seem to remember the thread title was Dog Shit All Over the Screen. Because they'd uh, put a dog on screen. They did. You are that person. I was... F no! Yeah. Oh, no. people don't know what a dog is, do they? Digital but, originated graphic, is that right? Uh, digital on-screen graphic. So it's like when, when in the corner of the screen, they've got to put a little four so you don't forget you're watching Channel 4 for idiots or something like that. Because you press the button and you've got the thing. No, the, and it was, it was infuriating, that sort of thing. When Don't start putting dogs on, 
on on BBC One. We don't need that. ITV that's have you. done it. Of course they have. No, but that's a different thing, isn't it? It's a different between having a little digital on-screen graphic saying BBC One, which is infuriating and shouldn't be allowed. And before the programme's even begun, they put a little thing up that says, this was made in 1972 and Spike Milligan's blacked up in it. Watch out. That's all it is. It's just a little on-screen thing. Hmm. There's no problem there. It's not interfering with the programme. I liked in that episode when Graham Norton's audio feed bled over. I was furious. Were you? I was furious. You still are, aren't you? I'm still cross about that. Isn't that on the DVDs as an extra? They have put it on as an extra, yes. Fantastic. Awful. Awful. To quote Chris Eccleston, fantastic. Absolutely. Or not when it comes to Norton, though, shouting. I liked that. I thought that was meta. Well, it was interesting. I do like it when you get a little bit of something you shouldn't hear from a control gallery. There's that wonderful, wonderful example from when they were doing the Any Dream Will Do, it was called. It was Saturday night, and it was uh, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber choosing a new Joseph in a reality competition. And it got to the end of one episode, and a contestant who was a complete prick went off that week, but then tried to take over the end of the show... And just as it goes to the director's credit, you get this moment of the gallery coming in and just this sound of, well, what the fuck? And cuts off. Oh, That's brilliant. That was wonderful. I'll have to find that for you. Yeah. yeah what the fuck? Wonderful. Yeah. Well, what a <laughs> great place to end ourselves. What, a what the place. fuck was that That's all about? Who uh, About Jesus. Baby Levi, Jesus. His reptilian brain. Uh, Max Planck. People shitting themselves. People some for pleasure, some not. Some for pleasure, I can't believe. Ian Hendry, aha, and whatever else you want. There you go. Barley grow. Yes. Yes. So, right. Yes. Well, there you go. Uh, yes. So we hope you enjoyed whatever that was. Mm. And we hope you have a lovely week. And until the next time. Oh, goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>